But it's so lovely to be with you. If we haven't met, I'm James. I'm, I'm one of the interns here at South Penn. And uh, maybe if you're wondering where Luke is, Luke's actually in Kailicha at the moment. He's preaching at a church there, which is really cool that he's able to serve. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, would you mind open to James chapter 5? Uh, I'll, I'll pray, and then we can get going. Cool. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are patient with us, that you are long-suffering, that you are with us in our failings, in our doubts, and in our trials, that you love us and mold us and shape us to be more like your Son, that you give us the gift of community and the gift of your Word. And Father, this morning we come before you asking that you would speak to us. Would you... Speak to our hearts. Would you strengthen them? And would we as a people follow you, Jesus, by being patient? In Jesus' name pray. Amen. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to live in the middle. It's the universal call of God for all of his children. It's the call to an uncomfortable place. It's the call to do an uncomfortable thing. You've been called to live in the middle. You might be thinking, in the middle of what? In the middle of what theologians would call the already and the not yet. Already Christ has come. Already he has suffered and died and rose again. Already the word of God has come. Already the spirit of God has been given. But not yet has sin been completely defeated. Not yet has the world been restored to what it was originally designed to be. Not yet has the kingdom of God fully come. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to live in the middle of the already and the not yet. Thankful for the grace of our Lord, but daily aware that there's more to come. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to do a difficult thing. And that's to wait. Now, if I'm honest, I'm not always very good at waiting. And I don't always like to wait. Just this last week as I was preparing this message, I found myself wanting to throw my computer across the room, waiting for it to load and load and load for it eventually to do absolutely nothing. Just this last week, I found myself crossed arms, shaking my head and shaking my leg as I sat in a, a really long line at pick and pay for my end. Just this last week, I found myself being not very godly and not being very graceful, waiting in bumper-to-bumper traffic on Fishwick Main Road because a car had broken down, and now I'm late. I'm not always very good at waiting. But more than that, as, as, as a family, as my family, we've had a season of waiting. Waiting to find out what's wrong. Waiting between doctor's appointments, waiting to find out medical diagnoses. Waiting to know if one of our loved ones will be okay, and if he'll ever get back on his feet. Waiting and wondering if there'll be any rest, any respite, any end to their pain and suffering. As followers of Jesus, we have been called to wait. And perhaps you've been waiting too. Waiting for a job. Waiting for an opportunity. Break. 
waiting for broken relationships to be restored, waiting in the midst of chronic pain and suffering, waiting in the midst of a broken, fallen world with broken, fallen people, with a broken, fallen body. As followers of Jesus, we are called to wait. We live, we're called to live in between the already and the not yet, thankful for God's grace, yet daily reminded that there's more to come. And with in mind, would you turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. 11. If you could have a textbook on what it means to live with faith in between the already and the not yet, it's James chapter 5. It's what this passage is all about. So would you read it with me? Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count it as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. So what does it mean to live with faith in between the already and the not yet? What should the Christian life in this overlap of the ages be characterized by, according to James? Patience. Followers of Jesus are called to patience. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. Patience. It's quietness of heart. It's rest of soul in the, face of, in the face of uncomfortable delay. It's peace, power, and perseverance to wait for the Lord. Patience. But if we're honest, in a culture like, or like ours, we don't always like to be patient. In a culture like ours, categorized, uh, characterized by instant gratification, we shrink our world down to the present to the me in my current situation, and to the here and now. And that's why James reminds us of the coming of the Lord. You see, you cannot understand this call to patience unless you view it from the perspective of eternity. That everything that is happening in the here and now is actually preparation for then. Because if there's no such thing as eternity, then patience doesn't make any sense. If there's no such thing as for, then it follows to get as much pleasure as you can, as fast as you can, for as long as you can in the here and now. If there's no such thing as Jesus' return, then why bother waiting? Patience and delayed gratification only make sense when you embrace the idea that everything that is happening in the here and now is actually God in his grace moving us towards the Lord's coming, moving us toward the glory of of eternity. And when we're there, this present waiting will seem like a very short wait. Therefore, James says, brothers and sisters, be patient. And to illustrate his point, James uses the example of a farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. The farmer has to wait. Like many farmers today, the far farmers in the ancient world were dependent on rain for growth and fruit. 
But unlike many farmers today, farmers in the ancient world didn't have artificial fertilizers. They didn't have modified, genetically modified plants. They didn't have irrigation systems, no. They were completely dependent on the rains to grow their crops. They would prepare the soil. They'd plant the seed. They'd cover it with topsoil. They'd even defend their crops from plants and other animals. But then, they would wait. And wait. And wait. And wait. For the seasonal rains to come. The farmer has to wait for growth and fruit. And this takes time. And this takes patience. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. But the question is, why is the farmer able to wait? The farmer is able to wait because he understands that waiting is not useless. He knows that waiting is not meaningless. He recognizes that waiting is never in vain. Because as the wait goes on, there's something amazing that's taking place. You could say that the farmer can wait because he understands that radical change is taking place, even though he can't see it. That seed is generating shoots, and those shoots are going deeper into the earth and up towards the topsoil. And those shoots will finally make them, themselves seen, and they'll grow a plant, and that plant will grow blossoms, and those blossoms will grow fruit. You see, the biblical view of patience is not just that it's this meaningless moment where I have to sit around waiting for good stuff to happen. No, the biblical view of patience is that there is radical transformation taking place in the midst of the wait. Please, would you hear this? A biblical view of waiting is not just about what you will get at the end of your wait. No, a biblical view of waiting is about what you will become as you wait. In the same way that there's radical transformation of that seed until it reaches full flower and produces its precious fruit, in the same way God is radically changing your heart as you wait with trust and patience. He's using the wait to transform you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ so that your faith grows and that your life bears that fruit that is eternal and to his glory. Waiting has meaning and purpose. The farmer gets that. The question is, do we? Are you so persuaded of the grace to be found in patient waiting that you celebrate the wait? Do you celebrate the wait knowing that in waiting, you're not waiting for God's grace, but in waiting, you're actually getting God's grace? Brother and sister, your waiting has meaning and purpose. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. But James goes on to say in verse 8, Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Here James understands that for many of us, waiting often introduces a war in our hearts. Waiting exposes our, the weakness of our hearts to doubt, to doubt God's goodness and love towards us, to doubt his power and sovereignty over us, to doubt if he's with us and indeed for us, and if he'll be faithful to his promises. There is a war being fought in your heart in moments of waiting. 
There's an enemy who would say, God is not near. God does not hear. Okay, God is not faithful. So when James says, strengthen your hearts, he's saying, brother and sister, stand firm. Fight the fight of faith. Fight for your own heart. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't give in to your doubts. Don't let your season of waiting cause you to turn away from Jesus and community. But send the roots of your heart down deep into the promises of the gospel. Find your nourishment, comfort, and hope in the word of God. Run to Jesus. Strengthen your heart. I love what it says in Romans 4 about Abraham. It says that as Abraham waited the years for the promised son Isaac, he grew strong in faith. Romans 4 verse 19 to 21 says this. He, Abraham, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief, at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. That's the core for how we should live our lives. So when I'm in a season of waiting, I don't harden my heart. I strengthen my heart. I meditate on the word of God. I hold on to the promises of God. I walk with the people of God. I remember the grace of God in my life. I do everything that I can to feed myself on the rich nutrients of the gospel rather than giving way to the temptation to doubt and fear and question the goodness of God. I strengthen my heart. Could I ask you this morning, do you fight for your heart? Or do you make the mistake of going wherever your heart leads? Do you fight for your heart or do you give in to the lies of the enemy, the lies of culture, or even the lies that you tell yourself? Do you fight for your heart by actively remembering God's love and goodness and faithfulness to you in your life? James says, brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back. So be patient. Strengthen your hearts and wait. But as you wait, don't complain. Look with me again at verse 9. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Here James notes that one of the very prevalent and common sins that we experience when we're forced to wait is the sin of complaining. Here James notes that very often when we have to wait, we complain, we grumble, we moan. We express our annoyance, dissatisfaction, and discontentment when things don't happen how we want them to or when we want them to. We moan when we're held up in long lines at home affairs in the traffic department. We grumble when there are delays in our plans and our schedules. We complain when we have to wait to cook our suppers at night because we have stage five load shedding. In the valley, we can find many things to complain about. And I think it's so easy for us to try and minimize the sin of complaining. It's so easy for us to try and view this as just a little thing that everyone does. And it's so easy for our lives to be characterized by this constant annoyance, dissatisfaction, and bitterness. 
Do you notice in our passage that James, is, that James actually says, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another. Do you notice that James's call to patience in our passage extends to being patient with each other? James is saying that as you patiently wait for the Lord, be patient with your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church. Do not complain about one another. Do not complain about that person who sings too loudly and off-key. Do not complain about that person who irritates you, who misses all the social cues and who asks all the stupid questions. Do not complain about that person who is hard to love, who misunderstands you and who drains you. Do not complain about that person who is a broken sinner, who has been saved by grace, and who is becoming and being transformed to be more like Jesus one day at a time, just like me and just like you. The late British pastor John Stott used to say that when he saw someone approaching him who he found quite draining and very difficult to like, that as that person approached him, he'd remind himself of who they really were in Christ. He'd say to himself, oh, precious, precious child of God you are, how much God loves you. And if God loves you, how can I not? As followers of Jesus, we're called to love one another, to bear with one another, to be patient with one another, and not to complain about one another. But did you see James's reason not to complain in verse 9? He says, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you'll not be judged. Look. The judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, as you wait for the Lord, don't complain about one another because the judge is at the door. Have you ever had the experience of walking into a room filled with people that you know, and as soon as you walk in, everything goes quiet? Everyone stops talking. And have you ever got the sense that you know that they're either hiding something from you or that they were actually talking about you behind your back? You can see it by the way that they look and the way that they act towards you. But here's the thing. Both you know and they know that they would have never have had that conversation if they knew who was standing at the door. And I think that's the point James is trying to make here. When you understand that Jesus is always there, that he is always with us, always listening, always watching, always standing at the door of our lives, this changes how we live. In other words, when you're instantly aware that God is with you in the good and the bad by his spirit, where Jesus is standing at the door of your life, then how you think about, how you speak about, and how you treat other people will change. If God is with you, how you understand patiently waiting with God will change. If God is with you, how you understand patiently loving God's people will change. So James says, as you wait for the Lord, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another, because Jesus, the judge of the living and the dead, stands at the door of your life. Lastly, James gives us a couple of biblical examples of people who patiently waited for the Lord in verses 10 to 11. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, as we count, see, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance, and you've seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. 
So firstly, James points us to the Old Testament prophets. Now, the prophets really understood what it meant to live with faith and before God in between the already and the not yet. The Bible tells us that these prophets, things that their eyes would never see, that they experienced great suffering, and yet that they waited patiently for the Lord, that they were willing under great pressure, pain, execution to put their trust and their hope in God, and that they remained faithful in speaking the truth. Even as the prophets suffered, they still sought the glory of God in what they said and did. The Old Testament prophets serve as a beautiful example of people who patiently waited for the Lord, even while they experienced great suffering. And this is significant for you and me, because there will be moments in your life when God will ask you to wait, and that waiting will be difficult, and that waiting will mean suffering. And in those moments when that delay is difficult and that suffering is severe, you'll be tempted to stop trusting and obeying God. And as you wait, you'll be tempted to let go of good habits, to compromise on your integrity, and to wonder even if it's worth it to pray. Because God doesn't seem to be listening. You'll be tempted to say, what difference does it make if I read my Bible or not? It doesn't change anything. Or why go to that life group? Those people really don't understand what I'm going through. They never could unless they went through it themselves. Or why attend church on Sundays when the sermons and the songs are, seem so far away from my experience? As you wait and as you suffer, you'll be tempted to stop trusting and obeying God. So James says, as you wait, remember the prophets. Remember how they were patient. Remember how they suffered it, they remained faithful. Remember how they endured. So would you please hear this? As you wait, remember that there's never a moment when it's more important to trust and obey God than in the moment when you are suffering. Remember that there's never a moment when it's more important to trust and obey God than in that moment when you are suffering. Because by trusting and obeying God, you're actually receiving God's grace in the midst of your suffering. You're receiving his grace that you can wait so that you can be patient and so that you can endure. It's his grace. It's his strength. It's your endurance. Brothers and sisters, remember the prophets as you wait. Secondly, James points us to Job. You've heard of Job's endurance, and you've seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, Job is a story all about suffering, patience, and endurance. In the sovereign plan of God, Job loses everything. All of his children die. All of his wealth and his businesses are lost. He's covered head to toe in boils, and his wife says to him, just curse God and die. Yet despite his circumstances, Job remained faithful to God. He endured. He humbly waited for the Lord. But those are just the first two out of 42 chapters in the book of Job. The rest of the story of Job is all about his struggle to wait and to endure and to seek God in the midst of his suffering. The rest of the story of Job is all about his doubt. It's about his frustration and anger towards God. It's about a man who has lost everything, who slowly but surely is losing his trust in the God he has faithfully followed for all of his life. 
Oh, Job waited for the Lord, but he did so in a very messy way. And maybe the fact that Job is given as an example here demonstrates how great God's grace and patience is with us in our struggle. Job wasn't the perfect picture of patience and endurance as he waited for the Lord, but in the end, he didn't forsake God. He trusted God in a messy, deeply human way. Job endured, and God blessed him. But God's blessing here is not what you think. It's not just that God restored all of his wealth and his possessions back to Job at the end of the book. No. If you turn in your Bibles to the last chapter in the book of Job, Job chapter 42, it'll be up on the screen. But turn there because I think that what I'm about to read to you is a living historical example of what James was trying to teach us here in our passage. Job 42, it's the end of Job's debate with God and the end of God's very powerful lecture of Job. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is that that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My, uh, my ears had heard of you. But now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. What is God's blessing here in Job 42? It's a blessing that Job could not buy. It's a blessing that Job could not earn. It's a blessing that Job did not deserve. God's blessing in Job 42 is that of radical heart change. It's not just that at the end of this trial, God returns all Job's wealth possessions. No, but it's that through this trial, God has reformed Job. Once self-righteous, bitter, and restless, now Job is humbled, repentant, content, and at peace. Job is a new man at the end of this book, renewed by the uncomfortable grace of a sovereign God. You've heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. Job's waiting had a purpose. Job's suffering had a purpose. The purpose was a radically changed heart and a radically changed view of who God is and who he was. As the Lord, and, and the Lord through his uncomfortable grace brought that about through Job's season of waiting. So James says, as you wait, remember Job. As you wait, remember the Lord. And this is significant for you and me, because to wait well, you need to remember the character of our God. You need to remember that he does not change. You need to remember that he is not distant, that he's not mean or vindictive. You need to remember that he is loving, that he is caring, and that he truly is with you in the midst of your wait and for you. James says, as you wait, remember that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Therefore, the wait that you've been called to is not in the way of God's compassion or mercy. No, the wait that you've been called to is actually God's very compassion and mercy to you, to reform you 
refine you and renew you to be more like Jesus. As you wait, God wants to change your heart. Indeed, as you wait, God is changing your heart. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now look, I know that you and I long for the mercy of release. That we long for the mercy of relief. We long for our season of waiting and suffering to end. And that's not a bad thing. Because every time you long for that, you're actually longing for eternity. And there are moments when God gives you release. And there are moments when God gives you a relief. But would you please hear this? What you actually need is mercy of refinement in this moment. Release will come, relief will come when refinement has done its work. That's the story of Job. A man who was blessed by God because at the end of the story, Job is a different man. So James says, brothers and sisters, as you wait, remember the prophets. Remember Job. Remember the purpose and character of God. To conclude, I must confess that working on this passage this week has caused a struggle in my own heart. I read these words in James, and and I know that every word in this passage is true. I know how important it is for us to embrace that we don't rule our lives, that God's true, right, and noble purpose, we have been called to live in this broken and But I find it hard. I find life in a broken world hard, and I found myself this week saying, Lord, this call to wait is just too high. It's just too high because I struggle. I complain. I'm not patient. I I can so quickly say, what difference does it make? Then I was reminded of Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. And if you are in your season of waiting, would this be an encouragement and takeaway to you? Because it has been to me. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. I was reminded that I'm not alone in this struggle. Jesus entered the already and the not yet. He knew what he'd be facing. He knew he'd be facing injustice and rejection. He knew he'd be facing the cross. He knew he'd be facing a borrowed tomb. And he knew that there was blessing on the other side. And not just blessing for him, but blessing for us. He did it for you and for me. He did all of that for our salvation, not just so that we could be with him in eternity, which is a great joy that we should look forward to. But he did that so that in the here and now, we could run to somebody who gets it. And not only understands, but has purchased our forgiveness, has purchased our empowerment, and ultimately has purchased our deliverance. 
James 5, in its call to patience and its call to wait, actually preaches to you Jesus. He is your hope. He is why you wait. He is how you wait. And he meets you in the wait with glorious grace. Do you know Jesus? Have you found a hard and broken world, remarkable peace and rest in him? He understands. He suffered for your salvation. And he's coming back. So my brothers and sisters, be patient. Can I pray for us? Gracious Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see that you are good, that you are with us, and that you love us. Give us hearts that don't waver, but hearts that are strengthened by your grace and your strength. As we wait, as your children, as we wait as brothers and sisters, would you strengthen us? Would you keep us? Would we lean on you for our help and not try to do it on our own? Help us, Lord, to be patient. Help us to wait. Help us to trust. Help us to hold on to hope. Jesus, thank you that you are ours and we are yours. And you will never let us go. So would you encourage my brothers and sisters this morning by your spirit to live faithful, trusting, obedient lives to the glory of God in the already not yet. And until you come back, and come back soon, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.